today's episode, we dive into the ins and outs of lesbian, bisexual, same-sex attracted and queer women's sexual health. What a mouthful. Check it out. LGBTIQ health, lifestyle and community news. Check it out. Is brought to you by the AIDS Action Council. From Canberra. For everyone. Check it out. We don't often hear much about women's sexual health, especially when it comes to women who have sex with women. We wanted to get some different perspectives on women's sexual health. So we ventured out into Canberra and spoke with women who are generous enough to offer us their ideas, experiences and time. What do you think is the biggest misconception about lesbian sex and sexuality? I think the biggest misconception is probably the idea that um, everything is kind of to mimic heterosexual sex. I think this is the idea that you need to sort of, oh, you know, have a strap on or have a giant 12-inch dong and, you know, fuck the shit out of each other. And it's actually not true because I think the female sensuality and female sexuality has an entirely different dimension that is explored in in queer women's relationships and that it's there's intimacy and there's touching and there's experimenting and there's and there's a whole world of of beauty and sharing that happens that doesn't have to mirror a heterosexual sort of style of or who's the who's the boy and who's the girl and who's the butch and who's the lipstick you know it's sort of very different experience there so I think that's probably the biggest misconception that you sort of have to fit into a role and that you need to perform like a heterosexual couple do you think that it's safer or that it's like not as intense yeah I think that's probably that it doesn't exist that people think that yeah that it doesn't exist. Yeah, totally. Maybe one of the misconceptions is it's actually pretty uh, broad. So I don't think there's, you know, any particular way. It's just, you know, what you want to do with your partner, really. So And what they're into and what you're into. So it's a pretty broad thing. So I don't know about the butch and femme. That's just thing. sex That's, in general, regardless yeah, of... Yeah, I think so. Any kind of relationship, whether it be monogamous or same-sex or straight or... Yeah, I don't think that you can just say sex and then therefore we all understand what we're talking about. What comes to mind when you talk about what's the biggest misconception is that they don't necessarily always have sex with other women and they can get sexually transmitted infections from men or get pregnant accidentally. Oh, biggest misconceptions around lesbian sex... Well, the misconceptions, I guess, is that we don't know how to have sex, that we can't have sex, that unless a phallus is involved, sex doesn't happen or can't exist. Oh, another misconception about lesbian sex would be that we can't catch any STDs. Like, that's a funny misconception that seems to have spread through our communities. There seems to be a bit of a misconception that because it's two girls, there's no fucking, basically. The, they can't be having sex because where's the penises? There's no sex without penises. Girls have access to a lot of penises, let me tell you. You know, if you're into that sort of thing, penetrative sex is no obstacle when you're a lesbian. You know, it's not all like pretty flowers and frocks you know sometimes it's just good old down to earth wham bam thank you ma'am it's um you know sex is hot hot sex is physical and active and hot and you know i think women are into that as much as anybody is guys always assume that women want to have hot crazy wild sex with them why wouldn't women want to have hot crazy wild sex with each other yeah girls like hot sex and girls and girls have hot sex together Check it out. We spoke to Dr Ruth McNair, Associate Professor at the University of Melbourne and a GP. 
Her expertise lies in exploring the patient-doctor relationship between same-sex attracted women and their GPs. I interviewed both LBQ women and GPs and what I found, aside from the issue that we already know that it is uncomfortable, that people have a lot of barriers to discussing their sexuality and general practice, it was really about people's identity. So thinking of the LBQ women's perspective first, that for some women, they didn't care less whether the GP knew or not. And so they felt that it shouldn't matter to a GP. And mostly they were right. But to other women, you know, it was the very first thing they would say about themselves or want to say about themselves. It was a very important identity in their life. You know, they would wear rainbow T-shirts or lesbian earrings or, you know, something that made it very clear to the general public that they were lesbian or bi. And so for those women, it was really important to disclose. And if they had a negative response, it was a really difficult thing. How does disclosure work for people with different identities and and different meanings for their identity. Are you comfortable talking to a GP about your sexuality and about any associated health risks? Yeah, absolutely. Yep, I have and do quite comfortably. I guess when you go to see a GP, you trust that the GP is across all of that information. And I find it really important and always have my checks particularly when I'm entering a new relationship, whether it be with a male or female. But having said that, only one female sexual partner has made that a known thing to me. So I guess that the understanding or the the need is different depending on which sexual partner you have. Have you always been comfortable to talk with all your sexual partners about sexual health? Yes, mostly, yeah. On the whole, yes. How did you broach the topic of sexual health when you entered into your relationship? <laughs> it wasn't meant to be a relationship. <laughs> it was meant to be a fling and we both had our period. It's pretty common, but, I mean, it's it's not very good, but I suppose, I don't know. I went I, and got tested pretty quickly after, though. Like, that's just my habit. I guess the the downside to that is it's always after the fact, but... It's something that I always make a habit of doing. It wasn't like that in the 90s. I think I've got slacker. In the 90s, like you, I definitely wouldn't even go there until everyone had had the checks and the certification. Because I think of AIDS being much more proximate and because it seemed closer then. Finding yourself a decent GP can be a real challenge. In I think I can count the number of GPs that I felt super confident with on one hand like and I've moved around a lot so I've had a lot of GPs it's tricky and um, I find in Canberra particularly that GPs leave they're here for a short period of time and then they move on they're here for some part of their process of becoming a doctor and then they they leave so you establish you just start to establish a rapport with someone where you feel comfortable talking to them about you know talking about sex with people can be people you don't know can be tricky and I think well, for me anyway, at my age, you feel like there's judgment going to be, people are going to be judgy about your sex life. So I remember when I was a kid, um, when I say kid, when I, we were, we would have been about 18, 19, my friend had a really bad kidney infection and their um, medical staff were just awful to her and treated her like she was well, dirty really and just implied that she'd lived a dirty life and she deserved to have this horrible infection. And yeah, I, I don't... Um, carry that with me in my interactions with doctors anymore but I do remember that experience as a really nasty kind of shameful like you felt like as much as you felt angry at them it was kind of you know it was embarrassing 
Yeah, the, the the GP and medical thing is a really tough one for me because I've just had such difficulties with doctors over the years and I do feel really uncomfortable talking to doctors and actually only a few weeks ago I came across a doctor who was so confused by the fact that I was said that I was gay. He even said, why are you gay? Which is just such a weird thing for a doctor to say. So yeah, I don't feel comfortable talking to doctors about sexual health, but I still hold out hope that one day I will find a great doctor that I feel really comfortable with. Canberra's a small town and I know, um, I remember one time there was, there's a really great uh, lesbian GP in town who's you know, but you couldn't get in to see her for love or money. She was booked out for years to come. <laughs> Once word gets around, ka-ching, they're just full. Check it out. Do you think that lesbians, as a general rule, are pretty good at practising safe sex? Not in my experience, and I'd count myself in that group. Do you believe that safe sex is practised widely in lesbian communities? In a word? No, I don't think so. I think if someone's into kink, then they're more likely to be conscious of things like um, hepatitis transmission through urine and feces and blood. But I think in terms of preventing transmission of things like chlamydia or um, genital herpes or something like that, not really. I don't think it's something that really gets talked about. And also lesbians are a really under-screened population in terms of sexually transmitted infections because there is this idea of not really penetrative so to speak so that doesn't necessarily need to be tested in the same way which is not true because whenever parts of your body touch someone else's body you need to ensure that that area is infection free and I think also they minimize the chance that there's the idea of oh well if it's the mouth doesn't really transmit stuff (laughs) whereas the mouth absolutely can transmit stuff and also I think that women um, lesbians are less likely to access heterosexual um, family planning services because they don't necessarily all you know go to the GP and explain what's going on because they don't necessarily feel that their life well, their partner choices who they're attracted to is necessarily respected so I remember when I went to the GP uh, just a standard GP and they asked me who I actually was attracted to and I was really taken back because it was the first time and this happened when I was like 35 it was the first time in my life where they hadn't assumed that I would have sex with men so the doctor actually said oh who do you have sex with men women or both and it was really refreshing to have that conversation happen generally I'd say that there's a gap in uh, the knowledge and the practice in just your standard community GP service no, I actually don't think that lesbians are very good at practicing safe sex in my experience. And I think that there's a lot more education that needs to happen. And I think that gloves are sexy. And I would like to see lesbians incorporate safer sex in a much more sexy, fun, integrated, and responsible way. Check it out. So, in general, lesbian and bi women who have sex with women have the same risk of STIs as any other woman. We see the same prevalence of STIs in big population-based studies. It's something like 17 or 20% of women have had an STI in their lifetime, regardless of sexual orientation. But the type of STI is different. So for women who have sex with women, it's much more likely than for heterosexual women to get bacterial vaginosis and candida. So they're two vaginal bugs that can cause a lot of symptoms like discharge, itch, discomfort, 
And in the heterosexual community, they're not really regarded as STIs, but we're getting increasing amounts of evidence that they can be sexually transmitted between women. And so women can have recurrent BV, for example, get treated, get it back again, get treated, get it back again, because their partner hasn't been treated. And it's quite common to have these bugs without symptoms. Another one that's really common is herpes simplex virus, and that causes lesions around either the genital area or the mouth. And we see quite high rates of herpes, genital herpes, amongst women who have sex with women. And again, that's not really well known, but it's quite clear in the, the research data now. So again, there's effective treatments to control the symptoms of herpes. The bigger ticket STIs, the ones with higher profile such as HIV and syphilis and gonorrhea, there is an epidemic in Australia at the moment around these STIs. They're much less common amongst women and I think some women still worry about them and request testing and that's fine because it is possible to transmit them between women but less likely than in a heterosexual relationship. So, you know, we're not totally immune to the, uh, the nastier STIs either. You know, some people might say, well, what does it really matter if you've got a vaginal infection? If you're not getting symptoms, does it really matter? Um, it, it does in terms of transmitting to a partner, and it also does related to pregnancy. You know, it's really important to clear these things up prior to a planned pregnancy. I don't think lesbians on the whole are very good at initiating discussion around SDIs with potential partners. So that would be my experience. My limited experience. (laughs) (laughs) Having said that, she wanted the whole thing. She wanted to test it all. I mean, I'd only been with one person before, so I felt pretty confident that I was okay. But we even tested out one time using dental dams because we got given them, so we thought they were hilarious. Check it out. I am quite good at integrating in safer sex practices, but that's because I'm deeply kinky and I've been in the kink scene for over 20 years. And it's such an integral part of the kink scene um, is using barriers and safer sex practices and being educated around all sorts of different play from you know, fluid exchange to, well, to blood play to all sorts of different things. So I am actually pretty good with it, but there is one aspect that I fall down on. And yeah, so the truth is, is that I really love going down on girls. Like I really love it. And I love the smell and I love, and I love all the juices and I love all, all so much about it. And, um, and so with new lovers and barriers, sometimes that can be um, a bit frustrating, I guess. And I can find that quite difficult. Yeah. So safer sex is a really interesting area in lesbian, bi, queer literature. Um, there's been more and more information about it recently. We know that most women don't like using dental dams, condoms, you know, any form of latex. And that's fair enough because really they don't prevent very much at all. And so much better safer sex practices uh, are around taking care with what you put into vaginas and where you put uh, objects, whether it's fingers, hands, sex toys. Um, So not sharing items between vaginas or anuses. And that's easy. You know, I love the fact that we have two hands, you know, it uh, makes safe sex much easier. You can have multiple sex toys, so you don't have to share secretions, if you like, between one place and another. So that's a really basic way of avoiding transmission. 
of STIs. And then another is just keeping fingernails short, removing jewellery that might catch or, or um, cause damage to the lining of the vulva or vagina. And, you know, these things are quite straightforward to plan ahead. You know, I've seen lesbian films from the 70s where the women are all trimming their nails before they go out, you know, and that's, that's not a joke. <laughs> it's actually part of safer sex practices. And then the other issues around preventing herpes, you know, that's probably the only reason you might use a dental dam to cover the vulva during an outbreak of herpes and during oral sex. But you also might just decide not to have oral sex at that time. So, yeah, I think it's about education and then some self-care practices and good communication with partners as well. I personally am a bit of a shocker on that one. If I go into it if we if we start if, if someone's sensible if one of us is sensible and we start talking about it beforehand fantastic we can cover that stuff off you know and i have in the past asked um partners if they ha- have practiced safe sex themselves or if they have had been tested for stis or you know various you know if, if they've if they've got a clean bill of health basically but i have to admit if i've m- I've been also in circumstances where it's all just gotten a bit hot and heavy pretty quickly and um, I don't want to go there. I, it's, I, I have to confess to not having um, been very sensible myself in the past. I, I was good once. Um, I had started dating someone and um, I asked them about their sexual health and, and she asked me about mine actually first, I think, and uh, we were going through that. And she, in the course of that, said that lesbians didn't need, she'd, always, she'd never slept with a man and therefore she didn't need to have certain sexual health tests. And I was, I was a bit blown away. I was like, she goes, you, she's like, I don't need to have a pap smear. I've never been with a man. And I was like, no, that is not how it works. You have to go and get a pap smear. And um, uh, she did. She didn't believe me, but she went to a doctor and asked. And her doctor was like, of course you have to have a pap smear. It's irrelevant of your uh, uh, sexual history. Actually, um, I contracted an STI when I was 15 years old. And and I did pick that up from girl, girl sex. And I think that is probably one of the reasons that I'm so into safer sex practices because I contracted chlamydia and I picked up chlamydia and I didn't know it. And so I got very sick and when chlamydia, so it really took hold. And then fast forward 15, 20 years and I had an ectopic pregnancy when I was trying to get pregnant due to the chlamydia that I picked up when I was 15. So I guess that's why for me, that advice to the younger lesbians really is like it's it's serious it happens it happened to me check it out you know the message that I would really love for younger lesbians to have is that safer sex can be really really sexy and it can be really really fun and we all know that dental dams are really strange but there's some really amazing things that you can do with them and that gloves are sexy check it out I would like to talk about resilience because I think that's a big issue that we can really focus in on But, you know, to to flip it to something positive and say, how can we as a community maintain our health and well-being? You know, that's a really big story that needs more discussion. So for people to incorporate healthcare provision as part of that resilience building, to go and get checks and health promotion, but also to talk within the community about how to support each other, you know, how to develop stronger, more positive relationships, how to support each other through pregnancy and parenting, you know, all of these things, which we do in small groups, but think as a community, we could have a much bigger conversation about it. 
don't be afraid to speak up in consultations with health providers, GPs and others about where you sit on the sexuality spectrum, where you sit on the gender spectrum. You know, it's okay to educate. I think GPs particularly appreciate that. I'm not suggesting that that's our job because actually it's the job of the formal training organisations, but it does help on a one-to-one level to just be willing to chat about your terminology and your pronouns and what works for you. I read this really great comic, the Oh Joy Sex Toy comic. It's one of my oh, favourites. I love that comic. Oh, I was um, to say that. Yeah, and um, it was about sort of vaginal douches. Mm. And it was kind of this great comic destigmatizing the natural smell of your vagina. So I think I think one of the the stigmas is that you know vaginas smell, and vaginas are disgusting and smelly, and I'd say they are not. They smell great. And that idea, I don't know. I guess when you're using one of those douches, it's about sort of cleaning yourself because you feel like you don't smell good. Yeah. So mm. you smell great is something that I would tell people. Yeah, I guess as well, I guess with sex education and things like that, there's this not enough of a focus on pleasure. So I'd want to focus on like lesbian sexual pleasure, like and, and especially in opposition to things like stereotypes like lesbian bed death and you know I was just gonna say uh, lesbian yeah, bed yeah. death. Um and lesbian sex is wonderful and pleasurable, joyous, no death needed. What I really noticed about younger people You know, I have a daughter who's in her early 20s and I think that certainly amongst her friendship group, there's a lot of acceptance of gender difference and sexuality being a much more flexible thing. Like it's really okay to identify as bi, whereas when I was younger, oh, you're only bi because you haven't made up your mind, you know. That's hopefully we're moving away from that as a society and I would say to kids just be do what you need to do to be comfortable with yourself. You should trust when there's someone out there whose world you will rock. (laughs) What message would you have for younger lesbians about sexual stereotypes? Wow, that's actually a really interesting question because I was thinking about this the other day in terms of my own body and my own physicality and my own sense of what it means to be a woman and what it means to be a queer woman. And I guess the most important message that I could say is to really just be your authentic self and identify with being more than just your sexuality. I think you're more to people than just being queer. You're um, you're an activist, you're intelligent, you're clever, you're compassionate, you're a whole bunch of other things. Your sexual identity and who you choose to have sexual thoughts and feelings for isn't everything. So be your authentic self and really celebrate who you are. You know, I have wet, wet dreams. Like I mm. wake up mid-orgasm. Wow, um, cool. I don't. Jealous. Uh, it's amazing. I just <laughs> ebbed awake by the like rhythms of the orgasm. They're quite powerful. Yeah, I don't know. I think knowing your own pleasure is so important and really powerful because I think it, it gives you agency in, your, in a sexual relationship that I don't think you have unless you know how to pleasure yourself and how to pleasure other people. How do lesbians have sex? <laughs> how don't they? <laughs> yeah. My thanks to Associate Professor Ruth McNair all the women who shared their stories and my colleagues for their contributions. Until next time, my name's Izzy. Check it out. For more information, visit our website at aidsaction.org.au. Follow us on Facebook or become an AIDS Action Council member. You know you want to. LGBTIQ health, lifestyle and community news. Check it out is brought to you by the AIDS Action Council. From Canberra. For everyone.